In today's programme we're going to be chatting with Kendall Kendrick. Now, Kendall is a mum to four girls, she's also a nutritional therapy practitioner, a voice actor, motivational speaker and host to the Born Primal show. What many don't realise is that over the years Kendall has had to face quite a lot of health challenges. During our chat she reveals to us how she has used paleo to help her manage things like adrenal fatigue, asthma and more. We also take a step outside the realm of food and look at how sleeping better can make so many improvements on your life and also at why sex is probably one of the most important parts of a paleo lifestyle. So let's join Alan and Kendall now and find out more. Good morning, Kendall, and welcome to the Low Carb Paleo Show. Thank you for having me. Actually, we got your name from Dr. Shauna Young. She is so fantastic. I love. She is. Love she is Dr. A great, Shana. She's a great lady. Yes. So we had a, we we had scheduled a what thirty minutes interview, which on it turned out into like a two hours discussion. <laughs> mm, Nearer near three, I think actually. <laughs> yeah. You're she's so great smart. to talk to, and she's so smart and full of so much information. I actually love her sense of humor and her yes. Yes. And the way she she looks at it. So. Um, I did see you at the Paleo FX uh, 2014 nothing, but I didn't get a chance to meet you in person. So now is our chance to meet. Can you uh, give us a little background on your Paleo life? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have four daughters. Um, my youngest is six. I have 10-year-old twins, and I have, as of a few days from now, a 13-year-old. Um, and when I had my uh, last one, a couple of years later, I was still trying to lose some baby weight. I had gone back to my first love ballet, and I was doing a little performance, and I felt um, really uncomfortable getting in a leotard on stage at 30, I don't know, four years old, something like that, and post four babies. And so I had a friend who kept talking about this diet she was doing that was uh, grain-free and dairy-free and all these crazy things. And my family had already been gluten-free for a few months because of my daughter's allergies. We just kept seeing this um, remarkable progress. My daughter, one of my twins, coughed for four years straight with asthma. And um, we did everything medically that we did, we could do. We finally went to a naturopathic doctor. They tested her for food sensitivities, and it showed up as gluten, rice, oats, and dairy, and like 100 other things. So we pulled those out of her diet immediately, and she basically never coughed again. And this is – we're talking about coughing turning blue for four <laughs> years straight from about the ages of two to six. It was kind of a nightmare. I remember that the year before we went gluten-free – she missed 20-something days of school, and by two years of gluten-free, she missed like three days of school. So um, remarkable changes. And so then her twin has sensory processing disorder, and so I thought, well, let's try the gluten-free diet since that's so great for kids on the spectrum. Let's see if this will help her sensory issues. And again, we saw you know, these really remarkable changes. So we just, we just decided to support them and have our whole entire family go gluten-free. But the problem was we were still eating a lot of gluten-free products. And um, I wasn't able to lose the weight that I wanted to lose. And wasn't my, my, for me, I had a lot of health issues going on. And so those were not improving. So my girlfriend who I dance with tells me about this crazy paleo diet. And I... Um, just, we talked about it a couple of times and I just decided I'm doing it. 
So I just like went home and I told my husband, we're throwing all of our grains away. We're going to start this diet tomorrow. And him being the amazing, easygoing, wonderful guy who's used to living with my insanity said, okay. Um, so I did, I, I found there were no cookbooks at the time. I found Sarah Fergoso's Everyday Paleo website blog. Um, I printed every recipe off of it that I could. And basically, I cooked for like two weeks straight, morning through night. <laughs> it was it was kind of insane. But um, we started uh, this diet. And um, within four months, I think I had lost the 10 or 15 pounds that I wanted to lose. Um, I had been severely anemic. I'd actually almost died the year before in the hospital after a hemorrhage post-miscarriage. Um, well, I basically did die and then I was revived. So I, um, had not recovered the blood loss in that year. And within four months of going paleo, I went in for a full physical and actually for the first time in my life, I was not anemic. So it was for me at that point, it no longer mattered about the weight loss part. It was about, oh my gosh, like I'm not anemic. How is that possible? I had been skinny and anemic with allergies my whole life. Um, I had had, oh gosh, I would have upper respiratory infections constantly. I mean, my whole life I'd been really sickly. I had a lot of allergies growing up. And even as an adult, everything my girls would bring home from school, I caught. And uh, the first year I went paleo, I think it was a year and a half before I got a cold. Mm. So it was just like unreal how healthy all of a sudden I was, how great I felt. Um, in the process, I had I had been vegan a couple of years before for a very short time, and I had developed a pretty severe hormone imbalance and estrogen dominance. So the problem was that even a year into being paleo, my um, my hormones were not getting balanced. I was still having some pretty severe issues with that. So you may have heard of Rob Wolf. Um, I ended up writing into his podcast at the time and said, here's all the problems I'm having. And he informed me of the, of the hormone imbalance, the estrogen dominance and told me like what I could do. And so I did the supplements and then that basically took care of that hormone imbalance like overnight. So that was great. Um, so yeah, I've been doing this for about three and a half years now and Basically, a few year, a few months into it, when I started having the success, is when I started my blog, Primal Balance, because I just sort of at the time wanted to um, share my experiences and my journey doing this diet and lifestyle, and it's really evolved into um, a totally different place now. But I um, just couldn't believe the immediate success. My husband lost about sixty pounds in a year. I mean, it just, it was, it was just one thing after another for us that was positive. So yeah, that's, that's about it. So how would you uh, describe your previous style of diet before you discovered paleo? Well, uh, my whole life I ate nothing but junk food. I was one of those teenagers that could pack away a bag of cookies in like 10 minutes and not gain a single pound. Um, I was just so, so sick. And I, um, I mean, I found out at like seven years old that I was allergic to uh, dairy and corn and cigarette smoke and my parents smoked in the house. I mean, it's just, I had all of these uh, really 
really bad allergies and, and I, and I never really avoided them. I mean, I think, you know, my parents just did the best that they could at the time. They just, there wasn't that kind of information and there weren't alternatives to dairy back in the eighties, early eighties when I was first diagnosed, there just weren't alternatives to anything. So, and, and nobody really read ingredients on boxes and we lived off of a lot of processed food. And then by high school, you know, I was working and I was in school and I started eating a lot of fast food. Then I became a radio DJ a month out of high school when I was 17 years old. And that's, that was a basically, you know, 60 hour work week. So I lived off of fast food and I was living on my own from about 17 on forever. And, um, so I did, I just never really learned how to cook. I ate really poorly. I got pregnant with my first daughter when I was 23 and I decided that I wanted to have, um, a home birth with a midwife. I want, I knew that there was like this part of me that wanted to do things differently in what seemed like a more natural connected to how we were made way. So, um, late into the pregnancy, I met the midwife finally, cause I, I had switched from going to an obstetrician to the midwife and she looked at my diet and she was like, this is not going to work. Like if you want me to take you on as a, as a client, you have to clean this up. And so that was my first foray and that was 14 years, almost 13 years ago. And so that was like my first foray into learning how to be healthy. And I started hanging out with all these other moms who were kind of hippies and really into natural food. I mean, I was, uh, I was actually buying grass fed beef probably 10 years ago. Um, I was ordering it from another state actually, because you really, it was hard to find locally. So it was long before the paleo diet made its way on the scene and, uh, people started talking about pastured and grass-fed beef. I was I was buying it because um, you know I learned back then I was getting Amish butter from a co-op. I and I did I didn't even know really necessarily, but I've that these were you know great for you. It just kind of was what people were doing at the time, and it seemed to make sense. Um, I've gone in and out of being a vegetarian. There were times when I thought that that was the healthiest way to be, and it made me incredibly sick every time I did it. Every time I did it, it was just. It just destroyed my health. Um, I'm very allergic to soy, which I, it took me a long time to know that. Um, and so anytime I was vegetarian, I was doing heavy, heavy soy. And that's what actually caused my estrogen dominance before. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say that I always – I would say that probably the last 10 to 13 years, I've been very focused on a healthy diet. But I didn't know necessarily until about three and a half years ago what a healthy diet actually looked like. Right, right. A lot of people on a gluten-free diet uh, seem to confuse gluten-free with uh, uh, basically uh, the fact that you should stop eating uh, junk food, and so right. they switch from they, sh- they switch from uh, gluten-loaded junk food to gluten-free junk food, and then they wonder why they are not getting any better. Right. Uh, yeah, of course they they took the gluten out, but they they're still eating junk food, so it's not gonna right. help their health in general. Yeah, and I've always um, had a really severe sugar addiction, so that's most of my life I've battled sugar. And so no matter what diet I was doing, it wouldn't have even at times you know in in my paleo um, journey, I've had severe sugar addiction. So I mean that's just a that's that's a process for me. And that's that doesn't give me the results that I want when I'm when I'm full blown into that. Mm. Right. My opinion: sugar should be uh, 
labeled as an illegal drug because it's highly addictive, <laughs> and, and and it makes you it makes you very sick. I mean, if you abuse yeah. it, like it's like everybody else, everything else is uh, right. Now, if you eat a little bit of it, it's okay. I mean, but uh, unfortunately, our society, or at least American society, tends to put sugar. Uh, in every single food yeah. you have, there's sugar, you know. Oh, yeah. Is, uh, highly but even people so. people will be addicted. People overdo fruit. I mean, that's in my nutritional therapy work. That's one of the biggest things that I was dealing with. So people go, you know, they want they go and they do like, say, a Whole30 or whatever, and then they're just gorging on almonds and fruit. And I'm like, uh, you know, that's what I prefer uh-huh. to do at times a sugar detox because I personally have to cut the fruit out completely to be off sugar. I mean, that's just how right. it works for me. Sh- right. Fruit is just as um, sugar addiction inducing to me as like um, a Twinkie. It doesn't matter. Um, so I, I always caution people to not overdo fruit. You don't need that many servings of it and as much as everybody right. thinks that you do. And well, I, I do absolutely almost no sh- fruit and uh, and I'm pretty darn healthy. So Yeah, it's, it's the same. I've you know, it's the same all around. That, in my opinion, balance is the most important part. Yes. A little bit of everything in good quality and in in small quantity or yeah. reasonable quantities uh, should be the norm. Unfortunately, um, Americans in general are still being brainwashed into believing that they have to stuff their face in order to um, feed their body, which is not the right way to go about it. Absolutely. I've noticed that actually, which is kind of a nice segue, your your website is called Primal Balance. So we we find balance in it, which is, you know, yes. obviously uh, something I'm very interested in. And also the the primal part is, uh, does that mean that your paleo version is similar to Marxism? No, it's actually not at all. Um, I... Um I just thought paleo balance sounded stupid, <laughs> so I didn't go with that. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, balance is is really the most important thing to me, and it's something I've strived for my whole life. I have um, some pretty unbalanced mood issues, and um, so it was when I started this journey. Um, it, it wasn't like I was ever going to put recipes on. I hate to cook. <laughs> um, I'm married to a former chef, so I'm really lucky. I get out of most of the cooking. And um, so my journey was about trying to heal things in my life, um, heal childhood trauma. Um, it's always kind of been about that for me. And I think I didn't even know how much I was seeking balance when I started the blog three years ago. But um, it's been this amazing journey. I write a lot less about food now and a lot more about self-help kind of stuff. Um, which is really the 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 way that I'm going. I'm trying to bring something different into the paleo primal community that I think is missing. And so there's plenty of people out there talking about food and how you should eat. And I think at this point, I'm very, very balanced in that. Um, I believe that you need to eat whatever template works for you. I don't even call it a paleo diet anymore. I call it a paleo template. template. So whatever right. that looks for, I refuse to be part of any fighting, whether it's about paleo treats, whether it's about... Uh, low carb, high carb, like I just don't care. Do what works for you. We are not the same. It's all about bio-individuality. So I've gotten to that place about food with balance, but um, mostly what Primal Balance is about is helping people connect to 
our hunter-gatherer ancestors. You know, it's all about this evolutionary mismatch of a world that we live in now. We've lost so many of the important tenets of life. For instance, our sleep, our stress management, our mindfulness, um, our play, our sexuality. All of those things are so – our technology. I mean, all of these things that we're doing now are the opposite of how our ancestors have lived or even modern-day hunter-gatherers that we know exist. Um, And so if we're talking about food, like you can't eat your way out of a bad lifestyle. It's just not possible. And uh, even like talking about fitness, all these things – So we're all running ourselves into the ground. I have (laughs) so much experience with poor stress management, and I spend my life now every day trying to make sure that I am managing my stress because you can't get rid of stress. Sure, there's some things that you can lessen, but for the most part, we just live a life of stress. I have four kids. I travel almost every week for work. Um, you know, I, I have all of these responsibilities and, and I don't want to get rid of those, but it's about how I look at them and how I manage them that makes my life successful or not. Um, and I'm not saying like I wake up chipper with a smile on my face every day. That's, I don't even believe in that. I believe in just emotional balance as far as like, you know, it's not about just being happy. Um, it's about dealing with all of your emotions in a healthy way. So that's essentially, um, what, what I'm doing these days on Primal Balance. Uh, I'm actually not doing a whole lot there because I'm launching a brand new company in the next couple of weeks that's really exciting with business partners. And um, uh-huh. so poor Primal Balance has had a little bit of a ne- neglectful time <laughs> lately, but I'll get back to it once I, once I get this new website off the ground. Right. I agree with you on the um, happiness concept. I think it's a concept that was... Uh, foisted on us uh you know to make us even more miserable <laughs> yes i think you're right because there's like a perfectionistic um a perfectionistic right, slant to it that if like, we're not happy then what's wrong with us we need to right, fix ourselves right. yeah, to be yeah. happy and i to think be, that yeah to be happy we should eat the right food we should have the right, right. car we should have the right tvs we should you know so if yeah. you're not getting oh, all yeah. of this yeah. and you can't be happy yeah which in turn makes you feel bad because it's like, well, I can't be happy if I don't have all of these things, right? So it's a yes. complete mess, complete my, marketing. My, my goal is never to be happy. My goal is to find peace and be like water. That is my goal in life right. every single day. That is what I attain to be. And I think that um, when you put one emotion over the other and you say like, you know, I should be happy versus sad, you're not accepting where you are. And that's that's the big, you know, the, the big message that I give to everybody, I'm a, I'm, I say I'm a recovering perfectionist. So I work a lot in perfectionism and shame and control, which is why I say that I don't care what people eat anymore. Like it's, it, it's, we're all acting like perfectionists about this diet. And I just think that yeah. that's ridiculous because perfectionism breeds shame. Mm-hmm. And all we're doing is setting ourselves up for uh, failure. And so it's, that's where the balance piece comes into play, that you can't be black and white about this stuff. And when we start infighting at what you should be eating or not and judging what everybody else is eating, really it's because we're judging ourselves and being perfectionist about it. Yes, that's it almost true, becomes a, a bit like a religion, doesn't it? Uh, mm. So much dogma yeah. involved when you go to that yeah. place. And there's, there's just there's – no, there's no gray in that. It's so black and white and there's so many rules – and so, yeah, for me, 
it's uh, I'm in a totally, totally different place. I've, I've done a lot of judging in my life. I mean, I've, I used to have a lot of control issues over my children. I, I speak a lot to moms because this is like how it used to be for me that it had to be this way. And I fought with everybody around me who didn't agree. Um, and really it was just because I was being a perfectionist. Mm. And so I take all of those things and I put them into the food stuff and into the balance stuff and, um, you know, and talk about these emotions that we, we get to be all the emotions. And the only way out of hell when you're suffering is to accept where you are. So if you don't accept that you're sad about something or that you're beating yourself up without judgment, you're not going to get out of hell. Yeah, unlike uh, unlike Europeans, I I've heard Russians are even worse, but in in a good sense. But uh, unless Europe, unlike European, it seems like the American way of uh, facing uh, emotional issues is to deny them. <laughs> you know, yeah, we, stuff, stuff, stuff. <laughs> yeah, or, or to pretend they don't exist. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah. of you know, French or European in general tend to be more honest about their emotions and. If you're sad, you're sad, and that's okay. It's it's not it's part of being alive and and going through life and and different uh, dealing with different problems. If you're happy, you're happy. If you uh, if you're hungry, you're hungry. Just uh, accept your emotions as they are, and don't pretend to that either they don't exist or to control them. So right. I wonder uh, sometimes we, if that's because Europeans have gone through as a, such a such a, an older culture and have gone through so many wars on in many in many countries like on your on their own land you know like a lot of yeah. things from history yeah. that haven't happened in America that we haven't really had to deal with as a culture and we're a young culture and we're yeah, a very blended culture too in Europe we've been at war with each other's for thousands of years and you know French invaded England England invaded France just to speak of two countries, don't get me started on the other one. So, <laughs> we, right. We have uh, this uh, sort of, uh, you know, learning from experience, fatality, or, you know, this is the way life is. And, uh, you know, take the good when it's here and then deal with the bad when it's here too. It's just, uh, it's, it's part of life. So, yeah, I absolutely agree with you that... Uh, Searching for perfection in into your know, everyday life is actually more stressful than just living it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, back to food. I, I am also <laughs> uh, I'm also a chef. I don't know if you've checked my background, but I'm also a chef and a nutritionist. And uh, um, do you believe that food or healthy diet is also should be preventative medicine? I do, but I also take a very balanced stance on medication. Um, so I think that I think you can do so much with food, but I also think that uh, if you've ever heard of the story of Pottinger's cats, um, the generations of damage that it takes to fix. Um, what we've done. Um, and we've been doing this whole processed food thing for, you know, almost a hundred years now. And it's done some serious damage to every generation that comes after it. And so as I think that, um, a healthy diet and a proper diet and a proper lifestyle, of course, I always say lifestyle because I just don't think that food is the only thing that we're talking about here. I think that right. this whole entire holistic di lifestyle, um, 
that if we do that in an appropriate way for our individual bodies, that it can prevent a lot and it can heal a lot. Like the awesome thing, my dad has been low carb for a couple of weeks now. He's very diabetic. Um, and he was so excited because his sugar had gotten down to like 120 or something. And that's almost unheard of for him. So he's texting me yesterday, so happy. And, you know, I've been saying to him for years, like, here's what you need to do. But he just, he wasn't ready. And, and, I, and I don't know if he's ready now. I don't know if he'll stick with it or not. But he sees it. He's very excited to say, yeah, here's what you can do. But I also do believe that there is a place for medicine at times. I think as a country, we overdo that. I think yeah. we don't have any balance with it. But as a woman who is at least third generation bipolar, um, and I'm and I'm, I'm you know I'm really talking about this publicly now. Um, lately, I wrote a blog post about it just after uh, Paleo FX because I think there's so much shame about mental health, and I think there's so much shame in the Paleo community about needing medication when you need it. Um, I need to be medicated. It's the only way that I can live a successful life. Um, but the beautiful thing is I'm, I'm on a very low dose of medication because my lifestyle and my diet work in conjunction with my medication to help me have the mood balances that I need to have to function as a productive human being. And so I talk to people a lot about that. I think there's so many people that have um, a lot of thyroid issues in our – they come into paleo hoping to deal with their thyroid issues. So many of my clients have had Hashimoto's. You have to be medicated. There's really honestly nothing that you can do. And so I don't want people to feel like there's shame about being medicated. But how do you make your medication work in the best way? Or maybe you will be able to eventually get off of it is to have an appropriate lifestyle that goes along with it. Mm. Other thing we've done with low-carb mag is um, taught in the last year, we collected together all of the available uh, details we could find on paleo sympathetic and low carb sympathetic doctors and medical practitioners because a lot of people find that you know they they decide to launch themselves into either the paleo or low carb lifestyle to help with certain medical conditions yeah. and their medical practitioners have just got no idea oh, either yeah. either what yeah. what they're talking about or how medication should be changed as diet changes yeah, you know, and one of the things when I when I first came in, so I've only been medicated for actually about two years. So I was paleo for a year and a half before I got medicated. I was wrongly diagnosed when I was about 21 and I was put on the wrong medication. And uh, it made me manic for two years straight. And it was a really bad situation, um, especially at that age. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when I got pregnant with my first daughter, I went off all the medications and I stayed, you know, medication free for 12 years or t about 11 years. And I... um and I fought it and I white knuckled it and I tried all these – I tried everything natural that you possibly could try. And unfortunately, bipolar disorder is not like depression. There are a lot of natural things that you can do to help with depression. So many more people have it. But, but bipolar disorder is – you know, it's a, it's a chemical issue that is hereditary and um, it just – you know, your, your brain functions completely different. And I just had all this shame. I kept thinking, I'll, if I paleo harder, if I do this harder, then it will get better. And I was suicidal. And uh, I, um, I felt like at that point, I was just broken and I needed help. And um, uh, my life literally changed the day after I went, I got medicated. 
But I found this also really wonderful psychiatrist who understood my need to be as natural as possible. And so he's always been very gentle with me um, on trying to figure out what works. When I've gone in there with other issues going on, he hasn't tried to throw medication on me. We've come up with solutions that would work for me um, without being medicated for for other things. And so um, I... I think that um, it is important that people really understand these things. I am so fortunate that one of my dearest friends and my business partner for my new company is a medical doctor. He's uh, the paleo doc, Dr. Daniel Stickler, um, and he presents at all the conferences as well. And he runs a um, a uh, clinic out of – he has two, one in Charleston, West Virginia, and one in Asheville, North Carolina – um, and he was a former gastric bypass surgeon. So he knows medicine very, very well. But now he's coming from the holistic viewpoint of really blending East and West and helping people holistically change their lives. But mm. again, he knows the balance of medication and he medicates people when he feels like it's necessary. And I think that's important is that we have more physicians and practitioners coming into our, you know, primal low carb community um, and, and, and knowing how to find that balance. That's very, very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Um, on, on exercise, um, as a typical Frenchman, the essence of my exercise routine is working my fork and knife intensely. <laughs> what's, <laughs> what's your version of exercise? Um, I love to lift weights. I found that not, not all that long ago. I did CrossFit for a year. And it, and because I wanted to be one of the cool paleo kids, um, and and uh, I've never been athletic. I was a ballet dancer, but um, I haven't done that since high school on a regular basis. And and I've done some yoga over the years, but I've just never. I used to do the elliptical for like an hour a day, which is just ridiculous. Every time I'd have a baby, I'd like you know six months postpartum, be back in the gym doing that elliptical, just sweating to death um, with no results. So I. Um, yeah, so I did CrossFit for about a year, and off and on, I got hurt really bad several times, um, and so that would put me out out for you know a month or so at a time. I was always the last in the class, you know, coming in. It just it really beat me down. The competitive nature of it, even though it's all about you're competing with yourself, like I don't like that at all. I just think again that that really leads to shame, and um, so I quit that. But I needed to put. I had a high, even though I, I, I was incredibly thin, I had a really high body fat index. And so I really needed to put some muscle on for optimal health. And so I started lifting weights last fall and um, I, I really love it. It's just when I have missed some time, I've had a couple of surgeries in the last year. So um, I've, I've gotten out of the gym for a couple of months at a time. And when I get back in there, it's just like, ah, oh, home. But <laughs> I'm also still, um, you know, I'm not lifting what, you know, other people might be lifting. And so I love that because I go in there and I don't feel like it's competitive. I'm just in the gym by myself. If I want to go in and like do two exercises and leave and work out 15 minutes, that's what I do. If I want to go in there for an hour, that's what I do. Um, and so I definitely feel a lot better when I'm doing that. But what I really love is I love hiking. I love being out in nature. I love going for a walk around my neighborhood. Um, I, I love just connecting and, um, what I'd really like to do is get into more play. I think I have these friends that, you know, Daryl Edwards runs a play out. Um, a lot of the primal play workshops at like the paleo FX, uh, conference. And, and, uh, and I have a lot of friends who are doing all this kind of play stuff. So it doesn't come very naturally for me, 
But any chance I get with my kids to be out somewhere, um, I watch them play and I try to mimic them. And um, I think that that's, that's really our, our healthiest way to, um, you know, get the fitness aspect, but then also get the mindfulness piece of it is play. Yeah, I'm right with you with the uh, heavy lifting. I am le- I'm lifting the, the fork and then the spoon <laughs> and the fork and the spoon. <laughs> Sometimes he does two together. Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, so on, uh, on the stress release, uh, being from the south of France, I'm a big fan of relaxing in the sun and taking a nap once in a while. What's your form of stress release? I love to dance. I never really get a chance to do that as much as I would like to anymore, but that's probably my best best form of stress release is just to just dance. And uh, like, I love, I love to go to a nightclub and listen to loud electronic music, but I'm 37 and a mother of four. And I like to go to bed at 10 PM. So that does not, I keep joking with my girlfriends who all love to dance too, that we're going to open like a daytime club, you know, where we just go and and dance. I keep saying I'm going to like throw a dance party in my basement, but um, goodness gracious. Um, uh, I trying to, I don't know why I'm like all of a sudden like, what do I do? I think again, just like getting out and hiking. Um, you know, it's been summer. So I've been able to sort of just go to the pool with my kids and, you know, lay out in the sun. I love being in the sun. I'm a total sun worshiper. So like being in the sun and relaxing is, is definitely a stress relief for me. Really. It's about preventing stress getting out of control for me is it's not so much about relieving it after the fact. I would say that, um, I, I try to get up and, um, sit and meditate for, you know, at least 10 minutes in the morning. Um, I've been practicing a a new way of doing that. I was trying to meditate like, you know, at night or whatever that never works for me. So, so getting up, um, I love, I have this really beautiful little screened in back porch and every morning I go out there and work on it and I just, I love it so much. It gives me a lot of peace to drink coffee, but I don't, you know, I don't go to work immediately. I just sit out there and drink coffee for a little while and that, those, those key ways of starting my day. But I'll tell you, if I need eight to 10 hours of sleep, I'm one of those people. And if I don't yeah, yeah. get that, my day is gonna is going to already go into stress because my cortisol is going to be totally screwed up. And so for me, again, it's all about preventative. How do I make sure that I do these things that are not going to lead to my stress being out of control? Um, so um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of things. I think meditation is so super key, or like you know, getting outside, like we're talking about, like hiking or walking or you know, going and just sitting somewhere in nature. Um, and I love going to new cities. Sometimes just doing that is, is even though traveling can be really stressful and hard, but trying to find something that I enjoy doing in a new city. Yeah. So tell us about sleep. I, um, I realize or I know that uh, the better quality sleeps we get typically is uh, between 9 p.m. and like 2 in the morning yeah. because there's a better release of melatonin. What's, right. what's your take on that? Yeah, I agree. I think it's really important, especially with adrenal fatigue. I've suffered from adrenal fatigue for probably my whole life. Um, but absolutely, when I was going through the Nutritional Therapy Association last year um, when I was getting my uh, NTP certification – I realized then how severe my adrenal fatigue was. Um, I mean, I was getting dizzy all the time. I was having a lot of problems uh, with it because I was very stressed out. I, at that time, I was not managing my stress and I was very overwhelmed. So I, I, I learned a lot about um, 
the importance of getting to sleep actually before 11 o'clock because that second wind comes in and your cortisol changes. And if you don't, if you don't get that, get to sleep before then you hit that second wind, you're kind of screwed. Like you're going to be, um, you're going to be tossing and turning or awake or uh, especially in the adrenal fatigue. So I do think it's crucial to get yourself to sleep before 11 o'clock. And I think that a lot of healing in our bodies takes place between that 10 and two window. Um, and again, like you said, the melatonin being really, everything just functions so much better, um, when you can sleep. Um, one option, uh, is if you, if you can't, if you, if your sleep does get kind of messed up and you, you miss out on that window, being able to cap like sleep between seven and nine in the morning can, can help sort of offset that to a certain degree. So for people, if that, if you have sort of a restless night, but you can kind of stay in bed and go back to sleep between seven and nine, that can be really helpful, but that's not something you need to do on a regular basis. What you really need to be doing is getting to bed, setting really good, um, sleep hygiene. So I always say no TVs in bedrooms. Your bedroom should be for sleep and sex only. Uh, also, um, make your bedroom beautiful. Make it like a place where you really want to be and go relax. Keep your lighting down, like no overhead lighting. Keep your lighting really low at night. If you're going to be on electronics, use the amber tinted lenses at night to block the blue light. There's all these things that you can do and just keep it quiet, dark, and cool. Uh, my kids are not allowed to have night lights. They've never had them. Every my there are there's no digital clocks. There is not a hint of light in anybody's bedroom at night. I mean, once the lights are out, that's it. And um, because it really does mess with our melatonin production mm. and our cortisol if we don't have our rooms really, really dark and quiet. Um, and now I'm like addicted to sleeping like that just like you know people get addicted to like sound machines i'm addicted to it being like dark and quiet and cool so but i need to be warm too like i have to have really heavy blankets so whatever works for you but then when i go and i travel and i sleep in other places it, it can get really difficult i don't sleep well when i travel so it's also important to have the right kind of bed for for your yeah. Mm. oh your yeah body as yeah well. yeah and uh i wish i could be one of those people that just like sleeps on the floor. It would make life so much easier, but I'm like, no, I need my pillow. Like I need my Ikea comforter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, actually, uh, you know, because, because of my profession, I've had back problems all my life and there's only one type of mattress I can sleep on and oh, it, wow. it makes my life difficult when I have a, when I get into a relationship because, um, you know, my last lady friend, for example, I could not sleep in a bed. I would get terrible backaches. Right, and, absolutely. You know, so so then you get into this discussion. So, um, you know, are you willing to change your bed so I can sleep with you, or do I have to sleep in your on your couch every time I come to visit you? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Sleep the paleo the paleo lifestyle can really screw up relationships. <laughs> <laughs> that's why there's like these I think paleo dating sites or people have tried to make groups and stuff just so you can like make people understand why uh, every, everybody's in agreement on it so that's, yeah that's a great idea I should be looking, <laughs> in, I should be looking into a paleo dating form exactly there was a site at one time I don't know if it ever got like it, it ever got kicked off um, but there. Yeah, there should be more of that. That's kind of a good way into on this discussion too. Uh, I'm going to skip over one. 
and go straight for the the big one, the sex question. Okay. Uh, now you know you know as French people, it's either food or sex. What, what's your take <laughs> on that? Can it be food and sex? Uh, it can be food, <laughs> just not just not in bed because you're gonna mess up your. Own <laughs> right, it's a little messy. So I um. I do talk a lot about sexuality in uh, um, in in the work that I'm doing now. Um, I I was it cracked me up when um, I was at the presenter dinner in uh, Austin for Paleo FX, and Michelle Tams of Nom Nom Paleo came up to me and said, "You're going to talk about sex on your panel on Sunday, right?" And I said, "What?" <laughs> and the panel was a Beyond Food panel, so I put together this group of people. Um, it was Daryl Edwards, Kyle Maynard, Dr. Dan Stickler, and uh, Steve Kirsch, uh, the paleo drummer. And we were going to talk about um, all these things that I've been talking about here, you know, stress management, sleep, um, just basic life, lifestyle stuff, mindfulness. Um, and, and so she said, you're going to talk about sex, right? And I was like, okay, why, you know, like, why not? So I went to Tony Federico, our moderator, and I said, need you to slip in a sex question for me. You just ask me. And I don't even remember what, like how he, how he brought it up, but, um, Dr. Dan and I always joke, it's our favorite, favorite topic to talk about. So Dr. Dan really specializes in hormones. In fact, he's still in the process of straightening my hormones out now. So he does a lot of hormone therapy work and he's just done amazing, amazing stuff. So what we're seeing is that once people start this paleo lifestyle, all of a sudden their libido returns, right? Like they've had no libido, especially women, it's because we're in our perimenopausal phase. So it's like, you know, our eggs are like last ditch effort. And we're like, got to get them out there, you know? And so, um, and so I always say, if you're in your late thirties or your early forties and you're a woman and you have no sex drive, you have serious stuff going on in your body and you need to get that checked out. And unfortunately the diet doesn't always just do it enough. So you might need um, you might need hormone therapy. You need to get some panels done, and you need to do it with a doctor who specializes in hormones. Because I had my hormones checked every year for probably four years because I knew I had problems going on, and they just all kept coming back normal. When Dr. Dan ran my panels, I wasn't even producing any testosterone at all. For a 37 year old woman, that's not healthy, and um, and it was stress. It was honestly not dealing with my stress that that caused such a severe hormone imbalance. Anyway. I, we did this panel and we and, and the sex question got brought up. Next thing you know, the whole panel turns into a sex panel. And all we're talking about is sex. And the audience is riveted. And then we move on and we, you know, and some of the things that we we talked about were um, you know, the importance of making it a priority. I mean, if we're gonna start talking about our food connection with our ancestors, we need to talk about our sex connection with our ancestors, because we know our ancestors had a lot of sex. So it's really um, it's and it's play. I mean, it's so important. Orgasms bring phenomenal chemical changes into our body that only benefit us. Um, it's relaxing. When you talk about stress relief, I wasn't going to say it earlier, but that's that's probably my favorite form of stress relief is sex. And yeah. so I think that if we're if we're doing this lifestyle and we're missing that key um, element, I mean, it's so great for relationships, especially you know if you've had a relationship. Like, you know, I've been married for seven and a half years and it's important that that's part of our relationship, but we have four kids and that can make life really challenging. I co-slept with all of my kids. Um, I've really done things very similar in, in this ancestral way, but you know, in a lot of cultures, it's very non-taboo when you have kids sleeping in your room to have sex. 
in that room. But in our culture, it's like, whoa, you can't talk about that stuff. Like, that's bad. But that's fine. You can get creative. I once had a childbirth instructor who told me that if you want to have sex bad enough, you'll have it on top of the refrigerator. Like, it's it's really, it's about, like, figuring out how to make it a priority in your life and knowing that the benefits really outweigh um, the, the, the difficulties and challenges you might face. So when we had that panel, uh, we had one, we had a lot of questions. It ended up being about 75% of the Q&A was, was sex questions. And so we talked about, someone said, you know, at night, they're really tired. I'm really tired at night. That's the last thing I want to do at night. But that's what's so beautiful about the morning. <laughs> you know, you wake up, you feel refreshed and, you know, you start your day out that way or you figure out other times. You don't have to wait until you're exhausted at 10 o'clock at night to to make that part of your life. Um there's, it's all about creativity, I think. And it's, I just think that it's, I think, I think it's probably one of the most important parts of the paleo lifestyle. And I just really encourage people to figure out how to make it work for them. I have this favorite, favorite author who I'm actually hoping to interview on my podcast soon. Her name is Esther Peril. And she wrote a book called Mating in Captivity. And it's very related to this ancestral stuff that we're talking about, how we're for the first time in the last hundred years actually marrying for love. Like we're not just marrying because we need to have babies and um, because that's like what our life looks like. Um, We're really, we have all these choices about marriage in our country. And so it's changed the impact of what marriage looks like. And I really highly encourage people to read um, her book, especially if you've been in a relationship for a really long time. But make it a priority. Just uh, be really in touch with that. And if you feel like you're, if you're struggling with your hormones, get those checked out for sure. That can change everything for you and uh, really give you something back in your life that is incredibly enjoyable and healthy for you. Excellent. Right. It's, um, my experience being a Frenchman in America is that uh, in this uh, society, this particular society compared to, let's say, Europe, uh, is that there's a very, it's a very uptight situation when it comes to sex. Uh, uh, I don't know about men because I don't date men, but I date women. And, <laughs> and it's a very, um, it, it's, it's almost to the point where sex is not something you're supposed to enjoy. Right. When it should be sex. I don't even like the name sex. It's, you know, I don't even like the term making love. It sounds like work. You know, it should be. <laughs> it should be. It should be fun. It should be a game. It should be enjoyable. Yes. It should be. Yes. I, I prefer personally. I prefer the term sharing love. Oh, I like right? that. That's really amazing. Be- yeah. Because yeah. you're sharing your body. You're sharing your soul. You're you know, you're yeah. sharing. Um, <laughs> body fluids and, and you know <laughs> so, but my experience my experience with um, the vast majority of American women is that uh, it, it's a taboo it, it's just yeah. some something that even in this modern time women are either not allowed or supposed to enjoy or, or to relax around right. it right. how do you explain that well, look at our look at our culture, okay? How did this country start? The Puritans. The people yeah. who couldn't handle Europeans, you know, ideas came over here 
and started this this entire country based on Puritan principles and sex was evil and sex was bad, right? So yep. we have to go back and we have to look at that and see religion and culture's role in our sexuality now. So yeah, America is just closed-minded. And um, I'm very incredibly open-minded and I feel like I'm such a minority, but I'm trying to encourage other people to really like think outside the fox in the bed. You know, it's really important that you, that we, we stop judging it so much. And so I think a lot of girls are taught, um, especially because of slut shaming being such an issue now, we're taught from a very young age that, you know, um, we're just going to be a slut if we like sex. And so we turn mm -hmm. that stuff off when we're little, you know, it's okay to talk about men and, and well, I don't know, I don't want to get too vulgar here, but, you know, talk about men and masturbation. But when it comes to women, it's like this totally different thing. You know, it's, it's, there's such a double standard about sexuality. Mm -hmm. It's so okay for men to be highly sexual. And if you're a woman and you're highly sexual, then you're a slut. And, right. it, it, and, and it's very incredibly frustrating. And it starts, it starts in our pubescent years, you know. One of the things that has really come out of technology and the internet that I think is one of the worst things ever is that these young girls are getting slut shamed and they're killing themselves for it. And it's horrible. They're getting bullied by other girls and boys because they're experimenting with their sexuality in a technology age and it's going really, really badly. And, um, and so I, I just, I would love to see the culture dynamic shift over time where more people are open to alternative lifestyles, to uh, things that, you know, wouldn't become alternative, that being more open-minded about just, just sexuality in general. And women seeing that they're, you know, because they like sex, it doesn't make them a slut. It doesn't make them dirty or wrong. They're not going to hell because of it. <laughs> um, but, it but I really do. I think it goes so far back that that's – that's a paradigm that's going to have to shift over time. And it's going to have to be with people like us all talking about it and saying, um, let's, let's not make it this taboo thing. We're all doing it. Like, it, why, is, why do we have to be quiet about it? I mean, I have never gone out for like a girl's night out and the conversation not gone to sex. Never. Even right. with people that are the prudest people that I know, we all end up talking about sex. I mean, I've gone to sex toy parties uh, that girlfriends have thrown that I think, oh, my God, I can't believe they're throwing a sex toy party, you know? <laughs> and and then when you do that, you get a room full of women. They start talking about some pretty raunchy stuff. And you're like, really? Like, this is happening? And, I'm, you know, I'm the one who's always like, you know, duh. But these women saying this stuff, it, it shocks me because yeah, I would never expect I, it. I think it shouldn't be so shocking. We should all be talking about it because it's fun to talk about and it's even more fun to do. Yeah, right. But uh, it, I mean, I heard from girlfriends or, or, or friend girls that uh, women, when they're together, they even worse than guys regarding you know <laughs> yeah. talking about sex, right? Yes. And oh my and God. yet they yes. and, and yet they pretend to be so premium proper and very uh, unapproachable. It's like, no, what's what's the deal here? You know? Yeah, I I, I think it's just our culture and it's our upbringing. Especially, I'm from the south. So, I mean, down here, oh, my God, you do not talk about it. You know, it's so um, – and I've only ever really lived in the South. So I, I, don't, I don't even know um, if people are a lot more – what it seems like in the bigger cities, there's a lot more open-mindedness and a lot more sort of liberalism about it. But where I live, it's, it's just – it's so taboo. And I think that, you know, um, 
it's incredibly important that we shift to being a more sex positive society because we can look at a lot of European countries and we can see that yeah. they, they don't have the high STD rates we have. They don't have high, uh, you know, unwanted pregnancy rates. They're teaching their kids pretty young about, you know, all these important things that they need to know. And, um, in our country, it's, it's just not like that. You know, it's just, it's not in that way. And I think it's really important that we start talking about it in a, in a more positive way. And I love, I love the term sex positive. I think it's so important that we see it in a positive mm. light. Right. The thing is, uh, it, it, it is a shame on the, on the whole physical approach of human connections that uh, in, in Europe, and uh, again, I can, I could say in France, but uh, I, I've seen it, I've traveled in Europe. And I've seen it pretty much everywhere in Europe is that people are much more open-minded about uh, not just sexuality, but just sensuality. That's another big yes. bad word, sensual things. I mean, I would prefer to even use sensuality instead of sexuality because yeah, it, yeah. Is, it, it's, it is all really about human connection and uh, whether it's physical or not, uh, it's all about sensuality. So... Uh, one of my pet peeves in this country is where you have uh, a, a movie showing, you know, half a breast that's rated, uh, you know, uh, NR or something like that. Right. And yet you have, uh, you have people blowing each other up, uh, up and down the street and there's no, there's right. no control over that. It's like, hello, right. where are or, you? Or, you know, it's, and it's the same, like I'm a huge breastfeeding advocate. I breastfed all four of my children for two years each and I always breastfed them out in public. And, you know, it's such it's so freaking dramatic here about it. Everybody makes such a stink about it. um, And you can't put breastfeeding pictures on Facebook and blah, 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 because breasts are so sexualized. Well, that's okay. Yeah, they are. They are sexualized and that's fine. But they're also there to feed infants. And so like and, and, you know, that whole the whole European topless mentality, like, you know, beaches are often topless in Europe and it's just not a big deal. And here it's just like ridiculous. Like I, 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 um, you know, I do these, uh, paleo wellness retreats in Jamaica twice a year and I'm on the nude beach the whole time, you know, like I'm like, I'm soaking that up because, because it's just so freeing to me and it's not a sexuality thing. And I love to be with all the other people on the nude beach. And you know, what's so funny is that everybody who's on the nude beach in that place is all talking and having this great time. You go over to the clothed beach and nobody's talking nobody's interacting (laughs) and it's not sexual. It's like, it's because we're all free. Once your clothes are off, your walls are down. You got nothing to hide at that point. So you can really open up to people. And, um, so I think that's just another part of our culture. There are very few nude beaches in America. It's very hard to find them. And there's one in in Austin. Did, did you know? No, I didn't know, but I'll go next time. You can take me. I guess they haven't told you. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, I, I didn't know there There's was one. anywhere. Is there really? Yeah, it's called Hippie Hollow. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the lake. It's on, it's on the lake. Uh, it's about uh, from downtown. It's about um, 30 minutes drive. I got gotcha. you. Nice. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, I have been, so to the, because, been to the lake. You know, I don't know if you know, but Austin used to be a very hippie town, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. So yeah. that's kind of the remaining, the leftovers from the old uh, hippie days, you know. I gotcha. Uh, 
I got you. That's it, awesome. I'm not sure the the new crowd, the the crowd that's been invading Austin for the past 20 years. I don't think they are hippies anymore. They're more like hippies and, <laughs> and yuppies, and, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think I do. Know? I just I think it's the I think it's our you know when it comes down to it and it boils down, our whole culture is just set um, in this in this prude place. And, um, if we could just let go a little bit and like, and I, and I love when you're talking about sensuality, that's the most important thing to me. It's far more important intimacy and sensuality. And you can find those things in anywhere that's not about sexuality. I think it's, you know, we have so much control and so much jealousy. And so, you know, we have these relationships that are like, you know, we don't let our partners talk to people of the same sex. We have all this fear about losing people. And a lot of that comes back to childhood trauma stuff. I, I had it too. And I had to really overcome that. And so I think it's important to really find some freedom in our relationships. So it's not, you know, if you, it's very normal to flirt with somebody at your office or whatever and have those kinds of interactions because we're still men and women. And, um, and you know, it's just, it's finding some balance in uh, being who we are and being open to who we are and knowing that we're not bad for um, being mm. sensual, sexual human beings because that's, you know, that's how we're built. It's what we do. So are you saying that for a 60-plus paleo man, is there still a chance? <laughs> there's always a chance. Until you're dead <laughs> in the ground, you're, there's always a chance. <laughs> okay, good. good. Good to know. Uh, I hear you have some new and exciting uh, developments in your life. Do you want to tell us about it? Yeah. So I have a brand new website. Um, we are, uh, like I said, Dr. Dan, uh, the Paleo Doc. We've created this website together that's an overall wellness website. So it's really cool because it covers diet and nutrition. We've got recipes. We've got fitness. We've got consciousness and spirituality. Our whole goal is to shift the human perspective. And I will have sexuality stuff too. Um, we do a weekly video series. We have a brand new podcast um, that's also weekly. And we're just giving lots and lots of resources. And the beautiful thing is that, you know, because Dr. Dan is a medical doctor, he can give a lot of information that people otherwise would have to pay hundreds of dollars to, to mm. get out there. And so we're excited about being able to put that out there into the world. We're also offering a coaching program and all kinds of different coaches, um, not just not just uh, diet or fitness, but also life coaching. Um, we um, are. It is not a strictly paleo site. It is just an overall umbrella wellness site. While all the partners in the business are paleo, we're definitely being uh, very open to to all kinds of different lifestyles and um and diets. So that's that's the biggest thing on my plate right now. Um I'm working on a book. That's exciting. I'm in the process of uh of getting a deal right now, so I don't want to talk too much about that, but um that's okay. that's certainly a new experience and hopefully I'll have have well, all of that ha out there soon. We hope to have you back when your book is out. Oh, I would love to be. Thank you. Um we have our uh, paleo wellness retreats in Jamaica. Um, we do that at the Grand Lido Resort in Negril. It is a, we do it off season to keep the cost low for people, but we do them in October and in May. Um, we're looking at some other locations to some other kind of islands and stuff that we're going to start doing our uh, retreats from. But it's great. It's like four days. Um, well, th about three, three days total of talks and workouts. We do yoga on the beach. We do, um, we do, we, they have a great little gym there. 
Um, it is just a magical location and we all really bond with the food. It's an all inclusive. The food is actually really good, pretty paleo friendly. Um, and again, like there's the nude beach and I'll be on it. So there's that. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so is that your signing point? You'll be, uh, you'll be naked. Yes, I'll, be on, <laughs> I'll be on the naked beach. That's right. That's right. I have a very, I've never, I never can convince anyone else from the, uh, from the retreat to go with us. So I'm always like, come on, my husband and I always, you know, go over there and hang out. But, um, but hopefully maybe I'll get some converts this time. Okay, so, but you good. don't have to go to the nude beach. You can stay on the one with your, with your bathing suit on, but really, and so there's, there's, um, there's, there's the stand-up paddleboarding, there's, um, kayaks, there's, I mean, there's so much stuff. We usually all go and do like something together. Uh, this last trip, uh, we went and did the cliff diving. Um, I did not do it, but the people I was with, did. I watched, I cheered. Um, there's just so, so much to do. So if you want to, if you want to check out, um, anything about the, the wellness retreats, you can check out my, um, my blog, primal-balance.com. Okay. We would love to have, will, have folks come def- join us. Definitely interested. And then, of course, you're going to go dancing at night after? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Our um, our our uh, resort is, is a bit low-key, so there is, like, entertainment at night. But there are so many resorts on – there's a there's sort of this whole little bay. And there are so many resorts that you could go to any of the resorts and, and go check them out and explore. That's the really mm. cool thing about it is that you're not just limited to hanging out at our resort. You can go check out other ones too. That sounds mm-hmm. great. That's um, a lot. As, as a, I am an anti-GMO advocate, uh, what's your position on, on GMOs? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't see the benefit of GMOs at this point. I can't. I, I just think that the damage that's being done, especially with the whole Monsanto thing, is, is really affecting um, our, 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 our life, our livelihood, our food. Um, if you've ever seen this movie, I love to compare this. There was this movie called Idiocracy and it was like the stupidest movie ever made, but the message was amazing. Um, and it's, and it's, it's just kind of a joke movie, but it's about the future and everybody is so dumb. Like everybody is so stupid and dumb that they just can't function. Like this Mr. T kind of guy is the president. Um, (laughs) And, and here's the thing, they have no food, like they all just live off of this, like, you know, like Mountain Dew kind of stuff or whatever, or um, the, the food is all bad and everybody's fat and like all, basically like the whole joke is that all the intellectual people stopped, you know, procreating and all the really dumb people kept procreating. And, um, but they, they've, they've tried to grow food and they can't because they were using like some kind of sort of Gatorade mountain dew sort of thing to water the food right and, <laughs> and, it, and it just makes and then so so the, this guy comes from the past into the future and he's like we just need to use water and he grows food so he becomes the smartest man in the whole you know thing um and he was kind of a he was he was not a smart guy in in our time period so anyway that i just tell people i'm like just watch that movie because that going that's where we're headed when we start giving over, I'm a big food f- freedom fighter. I have a bunch of chickens in my backyard. I live right in the middle of the city. Um, we've grown our food for a long time. And the moment that those freedoms start getting taken away from us, we're in really, really mm. big trouble. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's happening. That's happening. And so GMOs are just one part of that, of, of our food freedoms that, that our government is currently taking away from us. Absolutely. Don't mess with my food, that's for sure. Uh, uh, right. Yeah, you have the knife and the fork. You'll <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I, 
I, I can stab him <laughs> with my hand and force. Yeah, the movie was made by uh, Mike Judge. It's the same guy that did uh, Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yes, it's probably about as dumb as Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> but, but the message, the message is just, the message is there. And it's yeah, so, obviously it's, it's so made to make fun of uh, the yeah. situation, but it's true that uh, it seems to me again. I'm I'm saying that from uh, almost like seeing that from an outside point of view. Is it seems the American society is really trying to dumb down people. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 crazy, and so I think. That and people just don't have any idea, you know. They're just they're watching all these things that um, not pertain to what we really need to be putting our focus on and the importance of it, you know. And just really, I I, I worked for our local food policy for a year. I was the head of uh, childhood nutrition, and so what I was doing was coordinating school gardens with our school district of about 160 schools. We had about 100 school gardens. And I was working with a coalition of other uh, agencies in town where we were really going in and educating kids about where mm. food comes from. Because guess what? Yeah. Kids have no Ooh. idea. I mean, no, no. It's, 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 <laughs> it's really crazy. And that's one of the reasons why we've sort of done this urban farming thing is because I grew up on a farm. And I wanted my kids to have that same experience and understand where food comes from. And so I would go, I've, I've done these really great programs where we've created these kitchen carts. And so the kids grow the food in the gardens and they harvest it and then they wash it and they cut it and they cook it and they do it all themselves. And, and yeah. we give a lot of lessons about, um, the importance of local food and, uh, you know, slow food USA is doing amazing things with, um, these garden programs around the country. And, and, uh, the guy who's heading that stuff up, Andy Nowak, he was my mentor. And I just think, I kind of feel like um, our generation, you know, my generation and older generations, like, forget it. We're, there's the good luck. Um, that's, uh, why I, yeah, I, that's, right. that's why I go to the kids because, man, yeah, yeah. they love it. There's, oh, gosh. I used to do a lot of talks with, with teens and stuff, and I would explain the industrial food system versus the local food system. And, man, those kids ate it up. And I thought I'd go in there with a bunch of, like, jerky hormonal middle-aged kids. I mean, middle school kids. And I'll tell you, they've blown me away. I love teenagers so much. I think they have so much to offer and we just don't give them any credit. And they're the next generation people. So, yeah. uh, you know, get in there and teach them. Yeah, God knows we, we mess it up for them. So we need to try to correct uh, the imbalance and uh, try to teach them what life is about and food is life and, you know, same as sex. So... Definitely. Um, yeah. You haven't you haven't taught him about sex to to the kids, right? You probably the parents would probably wouldn't allow that. <laughs> yeah, not in the schools. But the funniest thing was one time I went to my daughter's health class at her middle school to talk to do this industrial, you know, to do the food systems talk. They were doing their sex ed, so they were studying STDs. So I walked in the class as a seventh graders, and I walk in, and the teachers breaking them up into groups, and she's saying to this group, "Okay, you're herpes." Okay, you're HIV. Okay, you're chlamydia. And so I'm just sitting there setting up for this thing. And I, and so the whole point was they were supposed to go study their STD and then present it to the class. And then I, after that, I have to give a food systems talk. So yeah. it was it was really entertaining. I thought, well, this is appropriate for me to come in here on uh, sex ed day and then do a food talk. It was so fitting for who I am. 
but yeah, so I think I think they're getting that. Um, and then it was great because I picked I picked my daughter up and her two girlfriends after school that I always pick up from carpool. And so I started giving them the I started I used the opportunity to continue the sex ed talk. It was great. And they were like, we know, we know. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bringing things back to paleo slightly. I mean, as that's what sort of. <laughs> yeah, right. The thing we're supposed <laughs> to talk about. <laughs> no, it's all been good stuff. It's all been good. Um You've obviously had a very interesting journey from sort of not knowing anything about paleo to taking paleo on board and and then even, I'll say, maturing on from there. What is the biggest one thing that paleo has done for you? I think paleo has given me my life. I think it's made me a better woman, a better person, a better mother. Um, What I always say that paleo did for me is that um, why I think food is so crucial to this whole holistic lifestyle is that what it did was... It rid my system of all the inflammatory foods that were keeping my mental health locked down and not allowing me to find that balance that I needed. So it opened the channels to healing so I could really, really spotlight what was going on. Because honestly, it wasn't until I went paleo that my mood disorder became like mm. raging, like so obvious because everything else was so healthy. And this one thing was like glaring and I didn't know, I didn't, I, I couldn't believe how intense it was. And so it allowed me to really deal with it in a way that I had never been able to in my entire life. And, um, you know, my kids got to keep their mom. And, uh, and, and you know, as, some, as anybody out there who's ever struggled with suicidal thoughts, um, scary. It's, really, it's a really scary place to be. And so when I say paleo gave me my life, I mean that literally. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. So, I mean, having you. been through that journey, if you could go back, and have a chat with yourself before you started. What would you tell your newbie self to do differently? So as in paleo, um, I would just say not be a perfectionist about it. I would say, you know, um, you don't have to be perfect and you don't do it all right. And you can, you can do it in the way that, that feels good. Because I think in the beginning that was probably – the hardest thing for me was I was trying to do it all right and um, staying up really late to cook so that I had exactly the right things. And, um, you know, it was a learning curve anyway, but, you know, now it's it's just funny how I, you know, my my morning routine is a couple of cups of coffee mm-hmm. with heavy cream and then some eggs and bacon and then, you know, some salad with some kind of meat. Now, you know, back then, though, it was like following every recipe. Yeah. Just keep it simple. Like, that's what I would tell myself. Just keep it simple. Put food, put food in your mouth. It doesn't you don't have to be a gourmet chef. If you are a gourmet <laughs> chef, man, that's awesome. Because <laughs> I know I'm talking to one and that's awesome. And I wish I was, but I'm not. And uh, and anything that you're not. But you have the next big thing. You have a husband that was a chef. I do. I do. Absolutely. He's at that point, though. You know, our kids turn their noses up at everything. So um, he's at that. He's at that point where um, he's just like done. He's like, good luck. Go eat a hot dog. Um, and, I, and the other thing, here's the other thing. I, I just want to stress this real quick, too. Um, I share custody of my three older daughters with my ex-husband and his wife. And um, I made their life hell for a couple of years over food. Um, they just have different beliefs about it than I do. And so what I want to say to other parents who are who are maybe new into the paleo lifestyle or not even new but still struggling mm. with other people in their lives who don't understand it and they're like maybe they're dealing with children and they've got a partner who doesn't want to, you know, buy into their grandparents or whatever, let go of the control. Let it go. 
It is just stress in your life that you don't need and it won't get you anywhere. And when I finally learned that lesson and I let go, I have an amazing co-parenting relationship with their other parents now. And my children, um, my children were not benefited from our food fighting. It, even though they didn't technically know about it, they knew about it. All things are communicated and they knew and it was causing serious health problems for them. And, um, you know, they're not paleo. They're not even gluten-free when they're out of my house, but that's okay. Survive. And, um, and they're, they're stronger human beings because they know what adaptability looks like. So, so let it go. Just let it go. Yeah. The best thing you can do is try to teach them the best you can and then let them go. Because once, once you uh, made them, I guess, understand or realize the benefits of eating clean food, uh, when they are confronted with bad quality food and if they feel in the body how bad it is for them, then they will realize straight that mom is right. Right. And they, and they had, um, they just spent a week at a gluten-free camp in Georgia and they had the time of their lives and they loved the food. They know that the only time that they can be gluten-free is at my house and that's okay. But when they're older and they're, you know, more grown up, all these experiences will, them, and they'll know, oh, I better when I'm gluten-free. But that doesn't mean that their father's house is wrong either. It's just different. And that's how I try to make all of that clear. I don't want any, I, I just think when we're dealing with a world of eating disorders, especially with girls and women, the last thing I want is my kids having any shame about food, period. That is the last thing that needs to happen. You know, food should just be food. And we do the best that we can. But if we start putting all this control and shame on it, it's not good. From experience, I can tell you, I've been, uh, badgering my son about good quality and eating good food and uh, it took him finally about 30 years to get around and appreciate that so there's hope yeah absolutely well I, I say the same thing about my dad who's <laughs> 64 <laughs> you know I say the same exact thing it's like you know if he gets it this time and this is what cures his diabetes then that's awesome and if it took him 64 years and you know, five years of me badgering him, then, hey, what, you know, whatever. But um, I, yeah. the funny thing is I've let go. I stopped badgering. You know, that's the thing. I let go, and then he did it on his own accord. So it's laying that foundation for people but doing it in a gentle way. My mom has lupus and, like, five other autoimmune diseases. I've given her books. I've given her information. You know, if she chooses to do it, she chooses to. But it's, it, it's, not, it's, not, it's not my place to fix her journey yeah, for her. That's true, yeah. We're all on our own. Well, we've covered a lot of stuff today. Um, <laughs> we have. Yeah. I told you I, I would talk You kept about. your word. <laughs> <laughs> I always And do. I'm sure people are going to want to know where they can get more of the same. So where's the, the best place or best places for people to get more info, information about you and what you do? Yeah. So just find me on my blog at primal-balance.com. Um, and, uh, from there I'll have all my new endeavors to lead you to as well. And you can also, um, find me on Facebook at Primal Balance, um, on Twitter at Primal Balance. And I think it's the same on Instagram. So Excellent. yeah, not hard to find. Thank you guys so much for having me. I had a well, fantastic I know I did. time. Well, thank you, Kendall. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was fun and, uh, definitely would like to have you on again. Um, Thank you again for being on the Local Paleo Show. And uh, like we say in Texas, à votre santé, y'all. <laughs> yes, thanks, Kendall. <Campbell. laughs>